Hey everyone, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here with another quick reminder to subscribe wherever you podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, reach out with any questions, comments or concerns, egraney at postmedia.com or I'm very easy to find on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Thank you to all of those who sent me emails this week. You're all wonderful human beings. Enjoy this week's episode as we move into June. What? Crazy. <laughs> Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, June 1st, 2018. It's June. Oh, my Lord. And this is the Kinder Surprise edition because we hadn't used that pun yet. And Paula was very enthusiastic about it. With me today, health reporter Keith Duran. How are you, Keith? I'm good. How are you? Good. Welcome back from your vacation. Thank you. Have a good one. It was nice. We didn't get to hear all about yours before the podcast, like Graham's. No, no, we won't. We won't use up any of your precious time to talk about that. <laughs> Paula Simon somehow managing to make it in here with a bottle of Buckley's next to her. Yeah, right I'm now. actually swinging the Buckley's right out of the bottle. <laughs> she really <laughs> nothing is. worse than a summer cold. Uh, no. Party like a columnist. <laughs> <laughs> and Graham Thompson, how are you, mate? Good. I brought the took the bus in this morning. The bus and the train. Yes, you looked very Englishman. You I had my that, umbrella. Yeah, that big umbrella a and the brawly. A brawly, yeah. And the black kind of wool coat thing. But no bowler hat. Which was, frankly, a letdown. And, um, you know, I think you should get on that if you would be so kind. I will get on it. Yeah, cheers. Uh, So we're going to be talking about a few deals that were reached this week. Would you believe it? In keeping with press gallery tradition over the past few weeks slash months, pipelines. What? No. I know. Shocking. Shocking. But there was actually a deal. Oh, my God. Oh my God. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about a deal that um, the province has reached with doctors. Mm-hmm. That's why Keith is here. Among other things. Among other things. And yep. also for his wit and charm. Um, and we're also going to be talking about a long-awaited apology to 60s scoop survivors, which also happened at the ledge this week and was really quite the day. I want to start, though, with pipelines. Get this out of the way. <laughs> oh, so, so you mean so we'll never have to speak of it again? Oh, 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 oh. oh somehow I just suspect we will keep on talking about it. But yeah, this week uh, was quite the news when uh, I woke up actually t- at about quarter past eight, and on my phone was a news alert saying that the federal government was going to spend four point something billion bucks and buy Kinder Morgan assets in the pipeline, and I thought. Golly, I should probably get into work. <laughs> Jumped in the shower and then ran down to my office. So, And there I was. So, uh, Paula, give us a rundown on what happened this week. Well, what happened this week? I mean, we knew something was in the pipeline, as it were. Uh, the, the tell was when Bill Morneau, the finance minister, had booked himself a last-minute luncheon at the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> yeah, that does uh, give it away, doesn't it? So people knew that the Fed's we're going to announce something. I think the surprise was the scope of what the federal government announced, because I think there'd been a sense before that they were going to try to backstop this, that they were going to indemnify Kinder Morgan's losses. But instead, they stepped right up and said they were going to buy the entire existing Kinder Morgan pipeline. Because I think a lot of people who have not been following this as closely as we have don't understand there is an existing pipeline. It's 60 years old. It's 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 highly profitable, makes a nice even return mm-hmm. on investment. So the federal government announced that they were buying the existing assets and then they were going to be um, looking for partners to build 
the new the twinning of the pipeline, uh, which was of course the the point of contention all along. So this solves the problem. You remember last week that I was ranting in my cold fuddled state about how it didn't matter <laughs> what John Horgan did or didn't do. The issue was Kinder Morgan uh, stockholders and yep. and Kinder Morgan investors who had very cold feet and whose feet were not being warmed up by any of this. Well, this uh, in a in a you know uh, sort of Damocles moment. No, sorry. Not the sort of Damocles, a Gordian knot moment. See, it's the cold. Uh, uh, like Alexander de- the Great slicing through the Gordian knot. Um, this this solves the problem in theory. Um, now there is no Kinder Morgan to placate. Now there are no shareholders to hold hands with. Now the federal government is taking it all on. Ooh. And the thing is, the reaction from the provincial government was as if they'd won the election, basically. Oh, it wasn't it, though? Because they had all of them lining up behind Premier It was incredible. Notley, it was a news conference. It wasn't just held in the, the media room. It was held outside on the plaza at the federal building. So in the background, you have the legislature and the fountain. And then you have not just caucus and cabinet, but then all kinds of office staff came yeah. out. Like people I've never ever seen I before were was, just behind them in this huge press thing. crowd, and they bizarre. were hugging each other. I know high the, five. The, the, the hug that, that Rachel Notley gives Mark McQuaid Boyd, the Minister of Energy, it looks like you know, like she's just congratulated Mark McQuaid Boyd on <laughs> on you know having a, a grandchild or getting you know getting a married <laughs> really? or something. It, 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 that was a hug. Oh, oh, I know. And she came out. <laughs> so, so Notley came out, like sort of you know, walked. In behind them, and the crowd yeah. went wild. Yeah, right. There, it was like being in a rock concert. And it was. It was as if they had won the election. And I mean that in a sense, literally. They they were so happy and joyful. And then you had Notley saying, "This is it. We promise we get the pipeline done. We're getting the pipeline built, and work will start immediately. So get your hard hats on, lift up your tools, building a pipeline." Well, of course, it's not quite that simple. But they were acting as they again. They keep saying. We are victorious. It's almost, in my column, it's almost like they had mission accomplished banner ready to unfurl, and it's not quite that complete yet because, of course, you you still have... (laughs) there's no pipeline. (laughs) There's no pipeline built. Construction, we'll see what actually happens this summer. You've still got Horgan saying, I'm still going to be a major impediment to this pipeline. Plus, you've got um, court cases, one in particular coming out the Federal Court of Appeal. This is the uh, the court hearing was last October. Uh, First Nations saying that the federal government did not consult with them properly, and they want to try and stop the pipeline through the courts. That decision is we're expecting coming down relatively soon. Uh, now that we think will still go in favor of the pipeline because we saw two court decisions last week in favor of the pipeline. They've won 16 court cases so far. We're thinking they're going to get that, but of course the thing is that the courts come out and say no then it's a major problem for this pipeline project. Plus, of course, Horgan's legal issues. So it's not exactly as if they're building the pipeline today, but this was still a major step. I thought the NDP was being a little bit premature in just how much they were celebrating. But for them, they see a glimmer of hope now for the next year's election. Provincial election a year from now, you're thinking without that pipeline, they are dead in the water. But at least now they may have a, a fighting chance. I'm not saying they will win the election. I'm not, I'm not predicting they're going to come the election right now. But the UCP is so far You'll ahead. Give that a few weeks, Graham. Exactly. The, the UCP is so far ahead in the public opinion polls. The NDP were looking for something, some good news. And yeah. this is good news for but them. But it did seem a little over the top, though, didn't Absolutely. it? That, that whole celebration. I, I walked out of a public accounts meeting into oh, the, yeah. into the <laughs> plaza. I <laughs> came across this like, what is going on out here, right? <laughs> And I'd, I'd sort of heard the news that the, the federal government was buying the project, but I, th- there was this army of people out there, and they couldn't wipe the smiles off their faces. And I just thought to myself, what are we, what are we celebrating well, here, guys? Well, I'll tell you what you're celebrating, because 
if this hadn't happened on May 31st, Kinder Morgan was going to say, that's it, put a fork in it, we are not building this, and that would have been a calamity. So, I mean, so what they're celebrating isn't that the pipeline is being built, what they're celebrating is the pipeline wasn't canceled, because if Morneau had not stepped in, if the feds had not stepped in, I mean, this would have been done. It would have been over. Yeah, but averting disaster, I don't know. It seemed a little misplaced. <laughs> <Yeah>. Not <laughs> they wasn't for, saying. For averting disaster. Yeah. We've averted disaster. I think we've got yeah. the pipeline built. Yeah, but I mean, it <laughs> maybe. It's not a horrible tragedy. It's not a horrible tra- <laughs> Hooray! Moves it a little closer to, it to fruition, perhaps. It. it uh, you know, but it's far from a guarantee. And, and the other thing is, you know, Canadian taxpayers are now on the hook for what? Twelve mil- twelve billion dollars? Well, it's, it's, it's an investment. It's an investment. Yeah. So yeah. It's f- Four point five. I mean, this isn't, this isn't, this, I mean, this isn't like giving money to Bombardier. No. This isn't like, exactly. this, I mean, this isn't like, you know, buying stock in auto companies in quite the same way. I mean, even if we never built the pipeline, we'd still be, I mean, Kinder Morgan was making money on the existing pipeline, which is full to capacity, which is, which is the whole point. You know, there are arguments to be made about, is it appropriate to go back to this kind of 1970s model of government investment in the oil industry, which is certainly, I mean, this is how GCOS got built. This is how Syncrude happened. I mean, it is not, it is not without precedent for governments to step in. And there are lots of good arguments to be made that if the feds own this pipeline, they have a, I mean, in Canada, we don't use the phrase eminent domain so much. But I mean, if it's a piece of federal public infrastructure, it is able to get through regulatory Mm -hmm. thickets that a private business can't in the same way that if the government decides it's going to put a highway through your farm, you know, they have to pay you for the farm, but then too bad for you because that's where the highway goes. The pipeline becomes a form of public infrastructure, which is not least stressed at that press conference, gives it a kind of precedence over over local regulation that it wouldn't have had in the same way as a private project. Yeah, she called the, the term she used was crown immunity yeah. in, in the court cases. So she's saying that um, the fight from Horgan has less relevance now, less, less oomph but, but, but the, the, legally. The, the question now is the First Nations issue. And I think what's really going to be interesting is if... I mean, what the federal government needs to do now, I think, is get as much buy-in literally from First Nations as possible. And that's why I thought what happened in Fort McMurray yesterday was so interesting, where a whole bunch of First Nations and Métis nations stepped forward and said, we want a piece of the action. You know, we're the Fort McMurray people who want to get this resource to market, and we are in as partners. There are a lot of First Nations there. Yeah, and and some in British Columbia, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the more buy-in, I mean, this is this is... This is the ma- battle for hearts and minds the government has to win now, because as long as there is a vocal argument that this pipeline is trespassing on sovereign First Nation territory, uh, it faces a huge political battle. If they can line up enough allies in the indigenous community, First Nations and Métis, that goes a long way you know, to giving them a different kind of crown immunity. And they already have. They already have a bunch. I mean, I spoke with... Um one one bloke from a in interior BC First Nation. He was part of that Federation flight, and he was a really nice guy. And he was saying, "Look, we want this. We have nothing else economically giving us any promise on our nation. And we used to be uh, we used to do a lot of tim a lot of timber, a lot of you know logging and such. But thanks to the mountain pine beetle." That's completely screwed. We can't even do that anymore. This is an economic hope for our community. It's jobs for our community. And he, he made a point of saying that there are a lot of um, n- nations in similar 
a lot of First Nations in similar boats as, as his is. Now, the John Horgan press conference was interesting. I called into that one. <laughs> Not so celebratory. You know, no. He didn't He didn't seem to be hugging or high-fiving anybody. He certainly didn't have all of the staff of the legislature behind him. Um, he was not impressed, particularly. Uh, he said, yeah, as Graham, you said earlier, he said, you know, we're going to keep on with our court cases. But he also made a point of saying numerous times, this isn't about, no, 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 this isn't about stopping the pipeline. This is about environmental protection, you guys. Guys, it's just about environment. This from the man who was campaigning last year on the slogan, basically, I'll use all the tools in the toolbox yeah. to stop that pipeline. And he took um, a bottle of freaking oil around to events and stuff, didn't he? When he was campaigning last year? But I mean, I guess the other thing, though, that we haven't talked about yet, when Keith says, what's the cause for celebration? There was a wise man who wrote in the Edmonton Journal this week that for UCP leader Jason Kenney, it's like trying to wiggle out of a straitjacket. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound very wise. <laughs> because, of course, I mean, as, as Graham Thompson correctly pointed out in his column, Kenny for months has been saying, you know, why isn't Justin Trudeau doing more? Justin Trudeau has to act. Justin Trudeau has the depth of a finger bowl and could no more understand this policy briefing than if it were written on the back of a napkin, blah, blah, blah. Why doesn't the federal government use the power of its treasury to do something? That's actually a quote from him on April the 8th, the Sunday, when Kenny Morgan's saying, we're going to pull the plug May 31st. Out comes Notley with a news conference saying, you know, we will, if necessary, buy the pipeline, at least we'll invest in the pipeline, followed by um, a Kennedy news conference saying, yeah, the government has to use the power of the Treasury, but only if Ottawa gets involved as well. And so yeah. he, he was very. I, I, I support this in principle. As uh, support buying the pipeline in principle, as long as Ottawa it, yeah. has our back at every step of the way. And he was really turning it on those guys. And then they did. And then he's like, "What?" And, and the thing is, <laughs> he, he began walking back that comment over the next few weeks because uh, the federal conservatives were against it. It's interesting online. So against it. The, the minute oh. um, Notley had a news conference and said, "You know, we will necessarily in, in, invest in this pipeline." Twitter went wild. Conservatives are saying, oh, there we go, that NDP socialist government investing in nationalizing nationalized things and and, uh, (laughs) using tax dollars to invest in private corporations. They're really getting angry at her. And then within minutes, of course, you had uh, a comment from Kenny saying the same thing. And then it went quiet on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) They just stopped tweeting about how angry they were at Notley for suggesting something that Kenny then suggested two minutes later. And I asked him about that in a scrum this week, actually. Like, uh, Sarah Hoffman suggested, Jason, that you're doing a flip-flop on this because you said these words back in April, and he went, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm suggesting. And and also said that the bailout of the auto industry under his watch as a federal government was completely different, not at all the same. Emma, do not relate the two. They're very, very different. Thank you very much. Yeah, so I think that... uh, (laughs) So, yeah, you can, you can call him a hypocrite. And I'd mentioned, of course, the whole idea about the fight right now over Kinder Morgan. If he had been premier, this is Jason Kenney, there wouldn't be a pipeline to fight over because when the federal government gave approval in 2016, Trudeau made really clearly his reasons for doing it was because of the climate leadership plan. And, of course, Notley had the carbon tax, and she was buying into the pan-Canadian climate yeah, plan. And there's the social license. Lady. But, of exactly. course, of course, in that world... Uh, Stephen Harper would still be prime minister as well. Well, no, I, well, no. I'm, I'm just saying that. No, but his, the point is, <laughs> well, and then there would be a pipeline. Reality. Reality. You are changing the reality I'm talking about. I have my own alternate reality. Thank you very much. <laughs> Do you know what this is like, Emma? This is just like an episode of oh my God, Star Trek. Yeah. Wait a minute. 
Yeah. My alternate reality is different from your alternate reality. It is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But, but I think what is interesting here, I mean, A, I, I don't think that Kenny would have been able to play nicely enough with Justin Trudeau to get a pipeline built, which I think was Graham's key point in his most excellent column, uh, which if you haven't read it, you should read it. Um, but I think the other thing that cannot be overstressed is the job that Rachel Notley has done of shutting down pipeline naysayers within the NDP and within the, you know, the progressive wing in Alberta. My daughter, who's a university student and who's, you know, she's all, her, her whole Facebook page is all full of people who think this is terrible because she's 21 and went to McGill. Uh, and, <laughs> and she said to me, well, but like, isn't there anybody in the NDP who opposes this? And I said to her, well, very probably deep down there are people in the NDP who oppose this and who would have opposed it 24 months ago. But Rachel Notley has them in lockstep. I mean, the discipline, I, mean, I think that's the other thing about that, that uh, show in the, in the plaza, right? I mean, those people lining up behind her are people who, in a different timeline, would be opposing this pipeline. But she has such caucus discipline and such party discipline that she has got every single one of them wearing a button that says this is about jobs for working people. And yeah. that, is, that is the narrative that they have adopted. And so, I mean, she has done, I don't think she's getting nearly enough credit for this, a really remarkable job of lining everybody, you know, on the left flank up behind her and up in support of this pipeline. And if we'd had a conservative premier, that is just no way that that would have happened. Okay, I want to switch gears now to the two-year deal that the province has signed with doctors. Keith, this is totally in your wheelhouse. Right, yes. Was it exciting? I mean, <laughs> was it expected news this week? Yeah, more or less it is. The, the government had kind of signaled uh, where they were going with some past deals with the United Nurses of Alberta, the Health Sciences Association of Alberta. Uh, all those health workers had all signed uh, two- or three-year deals that included two years of no wage hikes. Uh, so the doctor's getting a two-year deal with essentially the same terms, no fee increases, um, is, is you know, pretty much what we expected. Uh, the thing for me is that, you know, Notley now has the vast majority of the province's health workforce locked up under contract for the next two years with no fee hikes. Uh, and I think... Politically, uh, that's a very big deal, right? Because the argument uh, against the NDP for for decades has been they're too beholden to the unions, uh, that they're going to sell out the provincial treasury or the national treasury to to help their union friends. Uh, We can think back maybe even to Bob Ray's NDP government in Ontario of the late 80s and early 90s that was undone largely because of these union ties. Uh, and so Notley, for, to her credit, that government has perhaps learned from history. They um, have taken, I think, a, a, an argument that Jason Kenney was hoping to have uh, out, out, of, out of his pocket that uh, they are not, they're showing they're not necessarily beholden to the union friends. They got the unions to agree to no fee hikes for the next two years going into the next election. So politically, I think that was, that was a very key thing for them to do. And the teachers as well, right? We forget about that one. That one's also no fee hikes for them as well. And, you know, it, it, as, as Graham and I are here to attest, that was not the track record of past conservative governments. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Who got, you know, who got, I don't want to say taken to the cleaners. That's not the right, the right, right word for it. But quite often, uh, past conservative governments made extremely generous settlements with the ATA and the AMA to, to get some sort of labor peace. And the nurses. And the nurses. I mean, it, it, and it, it is interesting. I mean... And this, I guess, circles back to the point I was just making about Rachel Notley and pipeline uh, opponents, right? I mean, uh, there's no one on the left 
for people who are mad at her from organized labor to vote for. I mean, if if there are teachers and nurses who don't feel that she's been generous enough with them, are they going to be voting for Jason Kenney? I don't think so, even though based on past performance, conservative governments give them more money. Um, Keith, I'm, I'm curious too, um, you mentioned there it's a two-year deal. So that's quite a short deal, yeah? It, it, it is, and I think deliberate, in, in part because they wanted to keep it at the same uh, length as, as the other uh, unions and, and health associations. But I also think it's political. That this is going, it's only a year after the uh, the next election, so I think it positions it potentially as a as a campaign issue uh, all of the unions can um, weigh in uh, one of them the health sciences association of alberta has already launched a political campaign against the ucp um, oh, really they have yes <laughs> mm. um, healthcare matters it's called in, in case you hadn't heard it so well, what sorry I'm going to jump in here what was happening with the ahs and the uh, aupe negotiations yeah i haven't heard much recently on yeah, that one in a long time it's it's been a while i, I i'm not sure what the holdup is there but again i can't i don't suspect they would land on anything substantially different the aup perhaps might have a a bit more of an argument because they haven't necessarily kept pace with in past deals that uh, the health sciences association or the nurses have got but uh again i I think you know the notley government at this point has a pretty strong argument to say this is what we need you to do so i know that i think the teacher's contract is is a wage freeze unless somebody else out there gets a wage hike yeah. And then they get the, the same exactly, hike, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of pressure on them. Because they were the first, they were the first right. ones to the first settle. Ones. So they just built that into their contract right. negotiations that, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll take, no, we'll take nothing. But if someone else gets something, we're getting it too. Right. Well, but you see, the pipeline is going to be built. And then there will be so <laughs> much money. There will be so much money that everybody can have as much money as they want. I love your optimism, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> that Buckley's has really come to your head. <laughs> I want to switch gears now to finally to... Um, Really quite an amazing day in the legislature on Monday. Premier Rachel Notley offered an apology to 60 scoop survivors. Um, I was up in the gallery as they were doing this, and I was actually getting very, like, feeling quite emotionally overwhelmed by the whole thing. And the gallery was packed with survivors, and it was... It was really something, and I'm not Indigenous at all, so I can't even begin to try and imagine how those people were feeling. There was a lot of tears in the gallery, um, a lot to be said. Paul, were you watching this as, as this unfolded? I wasn't watching it in real time because I think I was working on an extremely important story about whether or not Meghan Markle and Harry... <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a good, an important story. People, very, people are very, talking see, about see, that. I'm so choked up about it. Yes. Um, sorry, I'm going to pause here and drink some Buckley, so hang on a second. <laughs> For people who don't know... The 60s scoop was kind of the sequel to residential schools. And the idea was, and this was, I mean, it went on after the 60s, but the premise was that we were going to rescue, rescue Indian babies uh, and put them in nice white families. And it became a thing that thousands of people did. I mean, and and prominent people, uh, Jean Chrétien, had adopted a child in the 60s scoop. Ron Leipert has a child adopted in the 60s scoop. Ted Byfield, I mean, it was a kind of thing that lots of people adopted First Nations children. And it's one of those road to hell is paved with good intentions things. It's not like people did this because they thought, oh, we will go out and practice cultural genocide. I mean, they really did believe that they were doing the right thing. And in many cases, this was not the right thing at all. I mean, I don't want to take away from the fact that some of these families actually had, you know, had had lovely and loving relationships. But for many, many of these children, there was a huge 
cultural disconnect. We didn't understand anything that we do today about the value of open adoptions or the importance of keeping people connected to their culture. So there was there were huge numbers of people who were taken away from families. Sometimes sometimes their birth mothers weren't coping, but sometimes it was just a matter of government policy that people were better off in white families. And it was it was grotesquely misguided and led to a lot of heartbreak and a lot of uh, social breakdown, mental illness, all kinds of things. So it was it was very important, I think, symbolically for the government to apologize for this. That said, my baseline is to be a little bit cynical about all of these government apologies because it's much, much easier to apologize for the sins of a government that came before you. I mean, how much easier it is for Rachel Notley to apologize for the sins of Ernest Manning or Harry Strom or Peter Lougheed than to acknowledge the fact that our indigenous child welfare system is still a roiling disaster with 70% of kids in care being indigenous, with, as we know, more than 800 kids dying in care, mostly anonymously, in the last 20 years. Uh, I mean, our system is still wholly broken. It's built on the foundation of residential schools in the 60s scoop, and the foundation is rotten. And, you know, I've written umpteen columns about this issue. So although I was very moved to see everything that was happening on Monday, and symbolically I think it was important and healing, and I met some of the people who were going to be involved in it, uh, you know, last, I guess, two weeks ago now when I was doing a piece about uh, the Blanket of Remembrance ceremony, I wish that instead of apologizing for the things we did 40 years ago, we could now turn our attention to fixing the problems in front of us. That was a point that was brought up by um, UCP Indigenous critic Dave Hansen uh, when he kind of did his response to the apology and said that exact same thing, Paula. Like, you know what? Of course, we need to do this. This is an important day. This is an important thing to do. But we need to fix our system right now. We need to be working on that so hard because there are so many problems with the uh, with the child welfare system as it is. And the thing is, and this, of course, what happened in the past and what's happening today is another reason and a very practical uh, sense why First Nations are opposing pipelines. You know, you got courts saying that there's a duty to consult that governments have not been performing to talk yeah. to First Nations. So you get this idea of governments do not treat First Nations with respect over the past and even today. And of course, you get people right now at First Nations saying the government can find four and a half billion dollars to build a pipeline, just buy a pipeline. But yet you get First Nations without running water. Yeah, it would cost $3.2 billion to fix all of the water problems on every single First right. Nation. So you know, people are making the, the equation. So you get First Nations um, who are standing up and opposing projects because uh, they don't trust the governments to do the right thing by and them. And part of what, what Notley said as well as, as she was doing her apology was that mentioned that consultation aspect and was like, this is super important. We're going to make sure we consult going forward and that was that was a big part of what she was saying as well you know two weeks ago i mentioned i attended this blanket of remembrance ceremony that it's it was the 11th annual one it's been held every year and this year was the last one because the organizer said you know that it's it's it, it's round up the usual suspects i mean people it's the same group of people who come every year and they had invited daniel larravee the minister responsible for children's services they'd invited other people for children's services to come the only politician from any party or any order of government who showed up was dave hansen from the united conservative party uh he and i were on a panel together he spoke very movingly about his experiences uh in the you know in his saint paul Laclabish, 
uh, kind of, I forget the exact name of his writing, but it's it's one of those writings that has like the names of four places, or three or four places <laughs> yeah. stuck together with hyphens. Uh, but a, a significant indigenous population. He said he grew up um, with you know hearing Cree spoken all around him, and, and spoke really sincerely about you know his personal interest in solving this problem. You know the pro- I, and I have to say you know this is this is after three years of an NDP government my greatest source of disappointment and frustration with Rachel Notley's government. Uh, they talked a very good game in opposition about how they you know they wanted to change the child welfare system and in government uh, nothing that they've done has made any substantive change to the lives of First Nations families. I think you know just to um, actually look it up actually David Hansen is the MLA for Laclabish St Paul Two Hills. So I'm just uh, only, I'm, three, I'm, only three places, not no, four. No, but, but, but that's but but they, <laughs> yeah. but Laclabish has three words in two hill. I mean, they're, uh, they're right, all okay, they're I all. You know. I have to look it up myself. Yeah, it was quite a touching day, and just something else very quickly that happened this week. Bill nine was finally passed. We've spoken about this on the podcast multiple times before. This is the abortion clinic bubble zone bill that yeah. increases the, uh, the a, a zone around um, abortion clinics. That some people can't harass women or going in and out of the abortion clinics, and of course the UCP uh, <laughs> walked out of that. Like for the fourteenth, there was a fourteenth time they've taken some sort of vote on this, either amendment or on the bill, and the UCP members get up and walk out. Uh, the thing is, you can't abstain in Alberta, so either you vote for something or against. You cannot sit there and say abstain. Or well, you run out of the legislature. And so they were doing like literally, they get up on their feet and basically make a beeline for the exit because they did not want to even talk about, or even acknowledge this bill. I know Paula might want to say something as well. Paula's Paula has voice. opinions. What? <laughs> I think I would like to hear from Keith Jirine, a health reporter, what? About, what? <laughs> about this. No, don't drag me into this. Uh, well, I, I mean. It's in keeping with what they did before, so it wasn't a surprise to see them do it again on third reading. Um, Disappointing. You'd like to see them take a stand. I think it is important legislation. It does sound like there have been some legitimate cases of harassment that have continued to to go on and perhaps even gotten worse in the last few years as uh, uh, political rhetoric has kind of ramped up around the world and in Alberta. Uh, So it's disappointing that that they wouldn't take a stand on this. but Especially because they is. know about that harassment yeah. too. Well, yeah. I and mean, it, the it, UCPI asked them about that. Like, have you spoken to these people at clinics? And they were, I spoke to Angela Pitt actually, and she said, "Well, no. And well, why not? Oh, well, we know about the problems they face. What are those problems? Oh, harassment and being yelled at. Well, what the hell? You know, because it's not. It's not just. It's not just the patients. It's the healthcare workers yeah, too. Exactly. I mean, this That's is right. a, this is a healthcare worker safety issue because, it, in fact, it's the healthcare workers in Canada who historically have been the targets of the violence more so even than the women. So. No, I mean, I think the irony of all of this is that it was Derek Fildeprance <laughs> breakout moment as the only person in the legislature who hung around to voice an opposite opinion, the, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and to make a principled opinion. And at one point, as we've already discussed, to actually like move, you know, move an amendment and get his amendment uh, supported and voted on. And, you know, I, I think it just... In a week in which Jason Kenney has not had very many wins, he had to sort of, you know, grumpily acknowledge that the pipeline purchase was maybe not such an awful idea. And then yesterday he had to tweet that he supported Justin Trudeau's, uh, you know, uh, tariff uh, retaliation against Trump's steel tariffs. And then he was absent, you know, AWOL on this debate. I mean, if, if he has a principled argument to make about access to abortion 
or about free speech, let's hear him make it. But he the idea, though. but the idea that he's just going to like make his caucus hide in a corner because he can't control what they might say. I, I mean, sure, that demonstrates a certain amount of control in the sense that he can order them to all get up and leave. Uh, but it doesn't actually speak very well to party discipline, caucus discipline. If you can't trust your MLAs to stand in the legislature and say something cogent without putting their feet in their mouths, if you can't impose enough party discipline that you can trust your MLAs to speak and you have to go hide, you know, hide in the annex. Um, I guess they don't hide in the annex anymore. There's hide in that in that well, side they, room. Yeah, they, they go in the hallway basically and hide in the antechamber. Nonsense is that? I mean, if if you know, it, is it is it kindergarten that you can't trust your MLAs, and but so you have to is, you have to put them in the naughty chair until, until you know. And Paul, I agree with you in the sense that the idea was he couldn't trust his MLAs because you know his MLAs, including himself, yeah. who are really against abortion and didn't want to be drawn into a debate over abortion as opposed to the bubble zone. It's interesting, and I thought, okay, you know, he doesn't trust his caucus, but based on his own. Bozo eruption two weeks ago against a prime minister. Finger bowl. Yeah, I called him you know, the prime minister as shallow as a finger bowl. You got to wonder maybe he was also afraid of his own um, <laughs> himself getting heated in a debate and saying something that, that might actually get him in trouble over the abortion issue. As far as I can recall, he was not in the house at any point during the debate. Anything around the Bill Nine debate, Jason Kenney wasn't in there. You'd have the odd UCP are in there. Jason Kenney was never one of them. And someone tweeted at me that he was at a party fundraiser while that final uh, um, bill vote happened. I don't know how true that is. Though. Well, the other point to make, too, is there is a legitimate argument that uh, there is not enough provision of abortion services in Alberta, right? The only two clinics are in Edmonton and Calgary. All, everywhere, Everyone has to drive there if you don't live in, in a big city. Um, and so if... You know, the NDP government isn't moving to increase abortion services. Uh, Premier Jason Kenney, if he can't even attend a debate on abortion, can't even talk it, talk about it, can't even utter the word. Um, you know, I think voters might want to consider that. <laughs> uh, uh, that there probably is going to be no further provision of abortion services. And even even the ones that currently exist, are, are those under threat in some way under uh, Premier Jason Kenney? I, I, I have no idea. I, have, I, I guess you take him at his word that he doesn't plan to legislate on that. But, boy, that's certainly a thought that I would have in my mind as I head to the polls next next election. All right, now we only have a few minutes left here, guys. We have to rip through our good stuff from the gallery in which we recommend things we have read, seen, or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Keith, do you want to start us off, mate? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I was just on vacation, so uh, one of the books I read on vacation uh, was called Munich. Uh, it was by Robert Harris. It's fiction, but based in historical fact about the Munich Conference in 1938. Uh, that conference has been kind of synonymous with the word appeasement, uh, peace in our time. Um, uh, over Hitler's aggression. Uh, it takes it kind of behind the scenes and, and I found it quite an interesting read on um, on that whole process. Wasn't quite as I imagined um, and perhaps a little bit relevant to today on how you, how you deal with a crazy person <laughs> uh, who has a lot of power. It's not quite the same thing, but I, I did sort of find it relevant for our times in that one sense. Nice. Paula, what do you got? Quickly. <laughs> A uh, column by Calgary business columnist Deborah Yedlin about the history of Crown involvement in Alberta's heavy oil sector. A uh, really interesting read back about Abisand and GCOS and Syncrude and the long entangled history of government involvement in actually getting bitumen to market. 
I'm going to recommend a piece out of McLean's magazine by Jason Markazoff. Alberta's handful of anti-pipeline protesters wage a lonely war. Uh, you see them every now and again. There aren't many of them, but it's all about the... Um the ones who don't want the pipeline, all four of them in Alberta, and uh, basically how they how they zip tie themselves to things and what it's like being a protester in a very pro-pipeline place. Graham, take us home. Okay. Um, this is um, a column slash news piece by Daniel Dale. He's a very good Washington bureau chief of the Toronto Star, and uh, he wrote a, a piece about Call Them Lies, Why We Sometimes Don't Use the L Word When Trump Is Wrong. Um, and he's talking about why journalists don't call Trump a liar more often. Now, mind you, Dale does call Trump a liar at times. Most people don't. Like, most journalists in the U.S. don't. And there's also a lesson here. We don't call people liars very often in politics in Alberta, if at all. And they go through, you know, why you've got to prove someone's actually deliberately lying, meaning that they know they're wrong and doing it deliberately, and very often you can't prove that. One thing he doesn't get into is a liability issue. Liability. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you got newsrooms, of course, have lawyers, and if they see something, they don't they think, my God, we can get sued over this. It's another reason why uh, newsrooms are careful to use. Especially in use. Canada. Yeah. And you guys are very word. polite. That's also why. Guys, thank you so much for joining me, Keith, Paula, Graham, and also thanks to Chad Huggerluck, who has been doing our recent podcast graphics, if you've seen They're them around. Awesome. On the- Yeah, on the Twitter box, so I'll be throwing our latest one up online with this episode as well. Join us again this time next week for more Alberta politics fun on the Press Gallery.